I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with Australian designer Adam Goodrum in his studio in Sydney. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Susie. So I wanted to go back to actually the very beginning before your career and ask you if you remember a moment or if it's a series of moments perhaps when you first realised that you wanted to be a designer and do what you're doing. I don't know if I had a specific moment, but I definitely, as a young child, loved drawing and I was obsessed with Lego. Um, When I got a bit older, I made go-karts and surfboard trolleys and all that kind of thing and I know I used to design them so I'd draw on a bit of paper and then make them um so I don't know if it was a definitive moment other than very much enjoying making things but I did I I grew up in Perth and I moved to Sydney to study industrial design and in third year we had a project it was a industry project with Siebel Furniture and we were designing a, um, a gas-assisted injection-moulded chair for it. And for whatever reason, I designed a folding chair. And that was the first time I'd ever designed a piece of furniture. And I don't know why, but for, for some reason, I just um, became quite obsessed with, I guess, wanting to research more about furniture and learn about it and make these little marquettes. And, and I think the folding thing as well, I really became quite fascinated with articulation and one state to another state. Um, so probably, yeah, if there was a defining moment, it would have been that project, mm. for better or worse, and became quite obsessed with furniture. <laughs> Interesting. And do you remember having any role models, either before, during or after university, or any mentors through that period of time? I had a wonderful art teacher, so she wasn't so much design, but I remember I just found her inspirational. And I think because of her, I was thinking about wanting to um, follow a more fine arts degree. Um, I remember, yeah, it was, I think, in year 12, she said to me, Adam, I think you'll be a great designer one day. Not that I'm a great designer, but I remember being so demoralised that she thought I'd be a designer because all I wanted to do was kind of focus on fine art. But it's maybe interesting looking back that she might have seen something with the way I went about things or something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, And so I'm curious to know what else you may have learned about yourself and your work and your craft and if you even call it a craft since you've graduated because obviously school is often just the introduction to you know what we end up doing so if there's one or two things that you could kind of put your finger on that you've really learned since then could you tell us what that is um i think looking back when i I know when i finished um studying industrial design came out as an industrial designer and there was very few jobs to go and just start working as an industrial designer. So as you do, I, um, you know, did anything to make money. Uh, but I was always very interested with design and I was submitting proposals for exhibitions or competitions and that kind of thing. 
And I remember, you know, sometimes kind of getting frustrated, thinking, why can't I make a career of this? You know, why can't I get any return from it? And then looking back now, I see that as such an important part of probably establishing my profile and, you know, potentially a language and that kind of thing. But at the time, I didn't really see it. So I think, yeah, looking back, it really was an important time. And maybe being quite tenacious with it, you know, because it is a really, really tough sport to make, you know, I guess it's a bit indulgent, you know, you're sort of existing as a independent artist of sorts. Um, but I know a lot of nice designers who unfortunately just stopped doing it because it's such a, you know, a hard gig mm. to receive a return from it. That's a good way of putting it. And so were you then almost forced into setting up your own studio because the industry hadn't really developed, that there weren't jobs out there, or did you always have your sort of sights set on having your own studio eventually? Yeah, I think um, that was my vision. It wasn't probably... Um, I wasn't very pragmatic. Everything sort of just evolved naturally. Um, I always had to do things to supplement my design career. So I, I started teaching and I used to teach a lot at the beginning and then I was able to back that off as my design side of it started growing. Um, but I think Australia as a place has you know, many more opportunities now than it used to when um, myself and my contemporaries were looking for work. You know, We were all jumping on a plane, going to Milan and trying to chase that elusive dream of getting picked up by one of the companies overseas because there was no companies here, but it was such a tough sport that, you know, there were so many people doing it. You have this constant carrot dangled in front of you and, you you know, the things we all used to do to get a meeting and that kind of thing, where now I think the younger generation, you know, they don't even think about going overseas looking for work because there is an industry that is, you know, coming about here, which is just fantastic. And I think it's in its infancy, to be honest. Mm. Well, that, yeah, that actually kind of segues quite nicely to my next question, which was going to be, you know, how much the industry has actually changed since you graduated. And clearly you've just said that there are a lot more opportunities, but w- what other observations could you make about the, I guess, the landscape or the, um, the industry as a whole since, since yeah, I that th- time? I, get, I think we've been for a long time, we're in the, you know, sort of shadow of European design, where for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but, um, you know, I guess in fashion and food, we have a reputation overseas, but probably in design, not so much. But it is interesting to hear people overseas say how much they appreciate the design that's happening in Australia. And, um, you know, maybe some people have had a bit of success overseas. You know, there's a bit of validation um, as well. And I think, you know, there's this, hopefully, that growing culture of proudness that you want to, you know, like I know I've had... Um, an email for someone wanting a um, commission dining table or something like that, and that's been replacing a, I don't know, a Cassina or um, a um, BB Italia or something like that. So it's really nice that people are wanting, I think, something locally made and designed. You know, architectural projects, um, you know, they might have to have 50% of it um, specified in Australian design furniture, which is just, you know, that definitely didn't exist before Mm. um and there's so many little great studios doing you know good things they wouldn't be doing it if um there wasn't opportunities i don't think like little cafes specking you know the locally made stool from a little independent maker Mm. and then also the other big showrooms you know like richard maneo you know at cult yeah yeah, um has the in-house in-house brand now just like other showrooms do as well and they're um i think very 
proudly working in this area but at the same time they're business people and if there wasn't a market for it they wouldn't be doing it so you know the market has definitely changed because I know you know whatever it was 20 or 30 years ago if I walked into a showroom there'd be next to no Australian design on the showroom floor where if you look at it now mm. you know the real estate space in the showroom which is so precious there is so much Australian design in those showrooms that represent the other brands as well so mm. it's got to be a great thing yeah I mean that's really an ecosystem right and it all sort of starts to feed back into itself if there's nothing visible clients don't exactly. know that it's available but if they start buying it then it feeds it even more yeah. and it's <clears> great it's definitely great to see that happening um so aside from that what, what would you say are the benefits of actually being based in australia or even sydney particularly as a designer and and also the drawbacks if there are any um well i feel to be honest i feel really fortunate to be able to live in a city like sydney and exist as an independent designer um, i work with two i work with a number of australian companies but it, i guess the two main ones would be um, colt and the in-brand um, in-house brand called Now, and also Tate Furniture, which is an outdoor furniture company. And um, I've built very close relationships with both of them. So I guess my um, number of products have grown, um, which inherently, inherently means more sales. So um, I receive an income from them. And I think, you know, if you are designing furniture, you know, it is this physical object that engages with the body. So when you are prototyping and that kind of thing. One, you want to work together with the makers to resolve things, but also you want to be able to sit in it, you want to be able to see it in the flesh in one-to-one. And, I, you know, like anything, I find um, those relationships just a really important thing. So it's nice to have those very sort of intimate, I guess, personal relationships given how closely you work together. Mm. But I, I think in working with overseas companies, you know, I really, really love that as well. It's really exciting to work with the overseas companies with their the history and their pedigree and I guess their open-mindedness to take on ambitious projects and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it is still hard in Australia as well. Like I feel very fortunate to be where I am, but I do know it is still really difficult. You know, manufacturing in um, Australian wages is inherently... You know, it's not high because it is what it is. People should be paid that amount of money. But, you know, the general consumer is so used to be buying furniture that's come from wages, which the hourly rate is way, way lower than here. So it is a challenge to educate people and say, well, that price for that chair is what it should be if it's made in Australia. And we're not making big margins, but when people get paid properly and all those kind of things, that's what the end price is. So... um, Mm. Yeah, I, don't know. I get COVID's potentially helped, you know, importing stuff has got much more challenging, 12-month lead times, containers, I know of, you know, you couldn't quote me, but I know maybe $800 container is now $4,000 container, so... And much slower is, to arrive as well. much slower, 12 months, yeah, mm. three months has turned into six months, has turned into 12 months, so lead times locally is fantastic and then the opportunity um, to customise and all that kind of thing has to be a benefit. Mm. So yeah it's interesting you say COVID's helped but I mean has it been more challenging for you throughout that time I don't want to dwell on negatives but you just talked about working with factories and that sort of hands-on approach to working with prototyping how did that kind of work out during lockdowns and, and periods of isolation? Yeah, that, that was definitely trickier. I, to be honest, when COVID hit, I was really nervous. I just thought, wow, I'm sure like many people were, no one's going to buy furniture. You know, that's my source of income. What am I going to do? Mm. But it was very interesting that now that people are spending more time at home, 
you know, they might not have existed so much in their home and they wanted to do it up or get new furniture and all those those things. So people really started spending money domestically on furniture. So for me, um, domestic sales really went up. Commercial sales definitely went down. So that was a really, um, I guess, plus for mm. it all. In regards to the um, direct communication, yeah, just like the rest of us, a lot of it had to be done via Zoom and all those kind of things, a little bit more challenging, but I guess we all adjusted and mm. changed. And But even now, you know, here we are sort of coming out of it, but literally there's a phone call every day that, you know, factory worker got it and then there's close contacts and then the challenge of that or someone in a showroom has got it. So it's just constantly sort mm. of reacting to it. Mm. Yeah, I bet. So I, I want to go back to... Um, the subject of Australian design and and what that actually is, because you know we are a relatively young country in a colonial sense. Um, and I wanted to ask you how you would define Australian design, if you can, and if you've thought about that, if you have a definition, and whether you've seen that change and continuing to change. Yeah, I don't know. I find it such a hard question. The um quite often people are, you know, what is the Australian language? And I don't, to be honest, I don't know if there is a specific Australian design language. I think obviously the world's got smaller now in regards to um, social media and everyone seeing what everyone is doing throughout the world. Um, but I think we do have the advantage of not having um, a history of design. You know, I think it'd be much more challenging growing up in Denmark or something and, you know, having all the amazing masters like Hans Wagner or Arne Jakobsen and, you know, navigating that and what you should or shouldn't do out of respect and all that kind of thing. And I think the flip side of that in Australia is because we don't have any of those um, expectations, we kind of have this open brief to do absolutely whatever we want. And I think that's reflected in, you know, the sort of design in Australia. It's pretty eclectic. You know, there's probably maybe a little bit of a Scandinavian, Japanese kind of aesthetic, but at the same time, you know, it's quite adventurous as well in certain aspects. But, yeah, I'd definitely the freedom. Mm. That's, yeah, I think that's a great explanation. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about how much the design industry has changed in Australia and the, the landscape and the ecosystem. And I guess reflecting on that, Melbourne Design Week is coming up in a couple of weeks as we're recording this today. Um, with a brand new collectible design show, which I think you're participating in um, to some degree, and we'll, I want to come to that in a bit more detail in a moment. But I wanted to touch on the the sort of, I guess, the definition of design and where that sits in a landscape with art and collectible design and craft and that conversation that's kind of happening around trying to define one and the other, and I, I wonder if um, you even think that that conversation conversation is still relevant. Um, you know, it's been talked about for so much. Uh, should we still be talking about what those things are and how we define them, or yeah. has it just kind I of evolved beyond that? Know. I think I don't know. What, I think maybe when I was younger, I was more opinionated with that kind of thing. I think I just relax a little bit with all of that. To be honest, like I think they're all creative expressions. You know, they're definitely different. But then they kind of um, can blend as well, I guess. You know, design such a massive field, which can be so rational and pragmatic, you know, designing a, a bus or a train or something like that. But then also 
can fall into much closer to art, you know, being, um, I guess, an expression looking for an emotional response from a viewer, and it is more specifically closer to art. I guess craft, um, I don't know, by definition, it's about the making, the technical skill, and I guess design isn't so much about the making, it's the process of coming up with an idea. So there is a, a difference with all of them. Um, but it is interesting that the turf of, um, I think, you know, woodies and craftsmen having a hatred towards bloody designers, and I think <laughs> artists not appreciating that designers are maybe falling on their turf a little bit. Um, like, uh, I have a collaboration with a guy called Arthur, mm. and um, <clears throat> the pieces we're doing for that, I guess you would have to say, are sitting relatively close to art, the gallery who represents us, who approached us, which was lovely um, kudos for us, the, this fine arts gallery called Talano, who normally represent fine artists, approached us, you know, we're not, Arthur comes from a crafts background, I come from a design background, and we're creating these artefacts, which, you know, part of it's craft from Arthur's background, part of it's design from my background, and then potentially getting close to art because of these one-off mm. collectible pieces. So, mm. yeah, I don't know if I've really answered it, but it does all seem to blur... I think, I think it's hard to, you know, at the end of the day, it's just this creative expression, isn't it? And good design mm. is good design, good art is good art. Mm. Good craft is good craft, I think. Well, no, yeah, but I think craft, that's a, you know, craft can sometimes be so technical, but then it's not a lovely design mm. sometimes. Mm. Maybe there's a spectrum that they all sit on somewhere. I'm not sure either. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would like to talk more about the collaboration with Arthur because you've created several pieces together um, and I think one of them, some of them have been collected, they're part of you know, larger collections and institutions and private collections and you are collaborating again for a piece or several pieces for Melbourne Design Week this year? Yeah, two pieces, fingers okay. crossed. The second one's still being made. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I hope we make the deadline. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about... Um, how these hopefully two pieces differ from what you've uh, done together in the past? Uh, yeah, we, we definitely um, have a preoccupation with always wanting to challenge ourselves and do um, something different to the previous work. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't know why, there seems to be this linkage or this evolution from the work we've done before. Uh, so the last time we showed in Tolano Gallery, we did a collection called Exquisite Corpse, and all those pieces, I guess, with this sort of kaleidoscopic mash of colour. Um, our next piece we did called Klatu, um, I guess, became a little bit more restrained. There was still a lot of colour, but maybe not quite as flamboyant as the other pieces. But we work with these concentric circles, really wanting to um, enhance the shapes, I guess. And with that these concentric patterns, yeah, we really liked the, the way they seem to um, celebrate the form a little bit more. So off the back of that, um, we've done a similar kind of thing, but this time we've become much more restrained in the palette and we're only using black and white, but it's not really black. So it's not, it is a black, but the white's not really a white. It's more like a pearl, mm. but you still get this lovely, depending on the light, because of the way the straw reflects, you get this lovely depth in the pattern. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's probably an important uh, element of the pieces to kind of outline, I suppose, is the fact that they're all 
using this straw marquetry technique, which is, I believe, centuries old in France. Um, how did, you know, was your meeting with Arthur the first time that you'd come across that material? Did you have any exposure to it before that? No, not, not at all. Arthur, um, who now has moved to Melbourne, um, but previously when we first met, he just had a studio about 100 metres from my studio and he wrote me an email just saying, um, you know, I've moved to Sydney and I'm a straw marquetry artisan. I also do a bit of furniture. It'd be nice to catch up. So he just came to my studio here, knocked on the door and we had a coffee together and um, showed me these, you know, amazing samples of the straw, which I um, just love. You know, they're incredible. It's like there's a battery behind them. There is so much shimmer and iridescent reflection. Uh, and I guess it was quite a nice marriage because I'm I really like geometry and pattern and colour and it's sort of the perfect platform. That's exactly what straw marquetry um, focuses on, I guess, pattern and repetition of geometry. And then we had a there was a thing which is also happening this year at Cold. It's called um, I won't pronounce it right, but charity charity. It's mm. like um, I think. 15 or so artists get given a chair and then you can do whatever you want with it then it gets auctioned off to a charity and that year um, I got asked there was an Arnie Arkinson series 7 chair and with that I thought oh this could be a really nice thing to collaborate with Arthur so Arthur and I did a piece for that and that was the first time we collaborated Ah, and then off the back of that um, via Emma Elizabeth she had a local design show at Milan and we Mm. did a piece called Bloom which was shown there um, and then off the back of Bloom, um, yeah, Talana Gallery got in contact with us. So it's it's just been this really nice evolution. I don't, I don't think at all we could think that um, it's kind of... It, like, the pieces take a really long time, so it, it is a very slow process. But at the same time, I don't think that, you know, here we are, our second show in a really lovely gallery and um, the work's being collected um, by institutions and that kind of thing. We feel yeah, very lucky. And it's a really... Um, for my business, it's such a... Um, enjoyable part this collaboration I have with Arthur just Mm. this sort of freedom to do these really sort of you know no no parameters or limits um artifacts it's Mm. very enjoyable Mm. and he's and Arthur's just amazing he's the best (laughs) he's really cool and freakishly talented his work (laughs) is immaculate it's a good combination for sure um, yeah, well, I think we're all really looking forward to seeing what you have on show at Melbourne Design Week. Um, they're very photogenic, so I'm sure the black and white will be quite Yeah, well, I hope so. The Gal- Talano Gallery is black and white. They have this very rich urethane, urethane syrupy floor with this great reflection, and then everything else is white. So hopefully the black and white should look lovely mm. if we get them there. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, so we've talked about cult, or we've mentioned cult a couple of times. Um, I know that you've just launched and or just about to launch a new extension of a collection with them which I think um, is geared more towards the commercial side but it originated as a residential collection is that right yeah yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that and how that kind of came about yeah I have a piece with um, the brands called now called Fat Tulip which uh, for whatever reason has seemed to do quite well in both markets straddle the residential and commercial market and it has a, a detail on the front arm, which is two-dimensional curves that come together to create this kind of shape, which I've always really liked. And I thought it would have been nice to um, explore that little detail a little bit more. And the our original fat tulip is kind of this QB square kind of thing, and I wanted to make something a lot rounder and more petite. But Richard has been saying for a while now it'd be really good 
to do a collection more focusing on the, um, I guess, work breakout areas and um, adaptable and modular and all that kind of thing. But off the back of working on this fat tulip piece, um, I separated the two elements and the backrest raised a little bit and became another element. And then it just seemed to make sense that it was a nice building block to apply to all the different typologies um, that could work for sort of, um, I guess, soft furnishing um, office work kind of scenarios. Mm. And it's still like all the mod, there's 10 modules and in every module. So for the, uh, there's an Ottoman, which is one module. Then there's a backrest on that, so that's an armchair. Mm. And then there's a high back also on that. So on every module, there's a backrest and a high back. Um, so with all of those elements, they can all be combined um, to make all these different, you know, used in different applications. And it's quite, um, given that it's come from residential, hopefully it's still got a really soft, sort of round language. Like I think quite often, um, with some other things that exist, they're so linear and rigid. So when they have to come together as they do, you know, mm. things have to be absolutely perfect. So I think to create really round, soft pieces that one have a friendly language, it also um, backs off that tolerance when things come together because it's just like two rolled stones coming together. Mm. You know, it's just a nicer sort of language, I think, when they're worked in a sort of a, a landscape kind of look anyway. Mm. Yeah, well, so I think um, a number of the pieces are installed in the Cult Sydney showroom at the moment. Yeah. And they're looking quite beautiful, so well done. <laughs> um, uh, so my final question, actually, is, you know, what are you working on now that you're allowed to talk about? What's, um, what are you looking forward to in the near future? Oh, <clears throat> um, both working with Tate and now on new products. Um, I don't know, you got me there. You seem to be busy <laughs> working on new stuff with Arthur that we're very excited about. Um, we did a, uh, a piece for Louis Vuitton, a um, folding trunk, which is a similar mechanism um, with a, from a piece I did with Brooch Commissions a long time ago, but it's a similar kind of folding mechanism, I guess you'd say. And off the back of that, um, we're exploring some new things which we're really, really excited about. Yeah, going through the prototype and working out the patterns and that kind of thing at the moment. Awesome. Well, yeah, looking forward to seeing that. I mean, it seems like a yeah a great partnership. So we yeah look forward to seeing what's next from the two of you. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Susie.